RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hey, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? Man, I can't complain. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Nicely caffeinated this morning. Yeah, same here. Hey, Mike. How's it? Oh, wait. Mike's not here. No, again. He's in D.C. right now, enjoying life. He is. So today, (laughs) we're talking about uh, MACE, the Mid-Atlantic Convention Expo. Brian and I went there in 2016. It was our very first con. And the game we're about to tell you about was our very first con game. Uh, Fair warning. Uh, this is just for those of you who listen to the show. We try to stay really positive. We didn't love this game, um, and, and we learned a lot. We did learn a lot. We learned a lot of what not to do. So you're going to hear lessons today, and we're, we'll talk about those things, but we're, we probably won't be able to stop ourselves from making fun of the GM a little bit. So if that turns you off, I completely understand that. When I listen to a show that's largely positive and all of a sudden the hosts are giant jerks, it, it makes me like cringe and not want to listen. So if you skip this episode, hey, I completely get it. And as the person who will be editing this episode, I will try to limit any of the majorly negative comments. I think we'll handle it pretty well during the conversation. So let's talk about May. So um, actually, let's talk about the premise of the show first. If, if this is your first time listening, we are RPG Lessons Learned, and the premise of our show is we recap game sessions that we've actually played, and we go over the lessons that we learned so that you can learn from our experience. Listen to us talk openly and honestly about what we did wrong or what we did right and take that and and pull it into your game with good specific examples and and, and good specific application and and take that and learn from it without having to go on that learning curve yourself. You know, it would be interesting um, last week we had Tanner on the show who yes. gave some feedback in on our L5. Well, this wasn't really an L5R game or D and D fifth edition, uh, in Rokugan, in Rokugan game. Um, so I would actually be interested in hearing some of the lessons that, uh, some of our listeners may have learned if they ever want to send those in. Yeah. And we actually have an email address. So RPG podcast at gmail.com and, di- you know, Dare I suggest, Brian, that perhaps info at um, RPGLessonsLearned.com will be set up, or even Dusty and Brian at RPGLessonsLearned. Yeah, they're not right now. They're not right now, but we have weeks before this will post. I need to set this as an alias on the uh, mail server. Yes. So Dusty at RPGLessonsLearned.com or Brian at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Let me go over here to uh, my Kanban board and add that as a task. So (laughs) I'll do that right now. Fair enough. So let's talk about Beneath the Blade of Sword Mountain. For those of you not familiar with Beneath the Blade of Sword Mountain, it is a wonderful little adventure that is packaged with the DVD collection of the Dungeons & Dragons Saturday morning cartoon. So when I was a kid, the cartoon kind of freaked me out and scared me a little bit. (laughs) <laughs> but then I rediscovered it as an adult, and I love the cartoon now. Uh, I think the cartoon is, is, you know, it has its faults and foibles, but by and large, considering the era, very high-quality cartoon, good through line to every episode, um, really good story. So I actually had owned the DVD collection that this little adventure came from. Don't you own multiple DVD collections? I do. They're, they're, I can't remember the publisher of each, but there are two collections. I own the leader of the two. Yeah, one of them has the correct music and better sound. And the other one has all the DVD extras. So for that reason, I have both. 
Anyway, when Brian and I signed up for Mace, the Mid-Atlantic Convention Expo, we saw Beneath the Blade of Sword Mountain as a game that someone was running, and Brian and I are both fans of the show. So we were excited to say, yes, that is a game we will play in. So we signed up for it. We showed up. This was an 8 to midnight game, and uh, yeah, it, we, we were disappointed. Uh, but let's try to stay positive and talk about, Brian, was there anything good about this game? Well, I mean, about the game itself. About the session we played around the table. So let me let me uh, deconstruct this a little bit. So this was the first time I'd actually played a game with someone who was a DM other than you. Or yeah, G- or and, and we were both excited to learn from another GM. Yes, we were. Um, so that was a nice treat. It was a nice chance to play a game with people other than the folks that we were accustomed to playing with. So we got to see other people's playing style, how other people approached the game or a game. It was a chance to play something other than 5th edition because I'm pretty sure this was the first time that I'd played Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. It um, was. So in that sense, it was good. Um, it was just good to get another perspective on how games can be run. That's a, m- about as far as I'm going to go because it wasn't bad. I, just, I I can't say that I thought the game itself was terrible, but I did, can't say that I think it was ex- ex- extremely great either. That's fair. So the exposure to Pathfinder was good. We 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 left this session saying, you know what? I because I, at this time I owned a lot of Pathfinder books. But I had run 4th edition, I'd run 5th edition, I had run various other games. I'd never actually run Pathfinder, despite the extreme number of Pathfinder books that I owned. So I said, uh, I walked away from this game saying, you know what, Brian, I'm going to run a Pathfinder campaign. So in a lot of ways, this session served as an inspiration for our current Pathfinder Beginner Box campaign that we're still running. Uh, I'll also say, in a way, this session inspired our podcast. You are 100% right because, and, and honestly, we, we've talked about that game quite a bit that we played on this podcast, just not in long form. Yeah, always obliquely. Always. It's, obliquely. Yeah. It's, it's kind of in a way it was, I'm not going to say scarring. It really, um, it really left a, a mark on us as players and as gamers. Uh, I think it really shaped the way that we think and approach, uh, gaming. We learned a lot of what not to do, and we learned that we were a lot better than we thought. That was the big thing. It was a huge confidence boost because we walked out of that game saying, you know, we'd hope to learn how to make our game better, but I think we learned that our game's pretty good. Yeah, and it, I don't want to sound overconfident because we, are, you know, um, I think that's probably the worst uh, stance anybody can take is um, overconfidence. I think I think most of us are probably familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, the the idea that we may feel that we are better at certain tasks than we actually are. And I don't want to fall into the trap of thinking that I'm great at everything. But honestly, um, I went in expecting to be humbled by the people who were playing the game. I expected them to have way more knowledge, uh, to be more, way more strategically minded to, I don't know, be a cut above what we actually were as players. And I found that we were actually pretty darn good. Yeah, that's true. So, the Dunning-Kruger effect, it comes from a study by two, I can't remember if they were psychologists, but Dun- yeah, Dun- Dunning-Kruger yeah. were their last name. They may have name. been economists. Okay, but a study by, by those two individuals, and they learned that folks that are incompetent rarely recognize their own incompetence. And it's the interesting opposite of another problem, which I think we do have, which is the imposter syndrome, yeah. where yeah. people that are competent, they recognize when they do screw up, 
so they think they're so dunning kruger if you're incompetent you don't even recognize when you mess up so you believe that you're competent and people who uh, are susceptible to Dunning-Kruger, which I'll put it that way, uh, really are often uh, fall to the confirmation bias that they have. And uh, when they do well, they note that and they remember, hey, I did great at this point in time. But like you, what, what you said, when they fail, they, it just doesn't register. It doesn't register as a failure. So we learned that we have things to share. We, we learned that we could share things with, with the overall RPG community and, and, and possibly be helpful. We also learned um, just by watching. So this guy that that GM the game was part of a group of gamers called No Ordinary Gamer, and they are all about they're all about introducing people to games. And, and you think of them as being like the elite of GMs. So I wasn't familiar with that group prior to um, the game that we played, and honestly, I don't know much about them today. Yeah, that's fair. All right, let's keep moving. So so we 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 learned. To, Takeaways, good takeaways from this game. We learned that we could totally handle Pathfinder and that we wanted to handle Pathfinder. Um, as an interesting as an interesting side street in our in our in our D twenty games. We learned that we were better than we thought in our own game. And uh it in a lot of ways that game inspired this podcast. So those are the positive takeaways. Um unrelated to the GM, before we get too deep into that, what did you think about the dynamic at the table? So it was our first time playing with a table of complete strangers. What did you notice about that, that that was a challenge that would be a challenge in a con game? I mean, so there was there was no dynamic at all. I mean, it wasn't even like it, was, it wasn't even like there was a uh it's not even like we actively combated against each other that we clashed. There was like there was just no um uh it was a dead fish. It was a dead fish. And he would ask, the GM would ask questions of the table. He'd say, so what do you guys do? And I'll admit that I do that too, but Mike is often a natural leader of the group and Mike will throw something out there. And if you don't agree with it, I know you'll jump in and disagree. But at a table full of strangers, the GM would say, what do you guys do? And no one would talk. Yeah, nothing. So that was a great takeaway for me because I walked out of this game saying, I'm going to run a con game. And unrelated to the GM, the fact that a table full of strangers would be awkward seems intuitive, but you don't really recognize how that awkwardness would manifest. And the awkwardness manifests by, you know, if everyone's hanging back to see what everyone else does and no one wants to jump in, that's a challenge to overcome. So I would definitely overcome that at that table with a game based on the Saturday morning cartoon. I would have turned to the character playing Hank. And I would have said, Hank, naturally, yeah. what do you do? Hank, what, what, what do you tell your team to do? Can Is it too much to ask you to, to, to sort of put yourself in the mind of what our GM was doing? What do you think that he thought when this, when no natural leader arose and that we were just, uh, just basically hanging there and waiting for like the game to actually take action itself almost? Oh, great question that I hadn't thought about. Um, in all honesty, I think he had this delusion about the game that he never overcame. I think his delusion about the game was that we were all, that we'd never played before. I think he's probably used to running games for people that have never played because at one point he's explaining to us what an RPG is. And then I think when he asks questions at the table and no one answers, I think he sees it as a sign that, oh, these are new players. I think he externalized everything that was slow. And I think he was kind of nodding sagely to himself saying, ah, these are new players. They'll, they'll figure this out. I'm here to guide them. 
And by having that take, where he was purely externalizing, I, I think he really failed to recognize some areas that, where he could have improved, like asking a question of one person at the table instead of the whole table, or, or, or doing everything in initiative order so that you always ask individuals what do they do, and that way they're inclined to answer versus asking the whole table and have no one speak. So because he had this illusion that he was introducing us to gaming, and which, by the way, in, in table talk around the table, we learned that almost everyone was part of a regular game and had been gaming for years. I mean, what's the likelihood that someone's going to go to a gaming convention without at least a little bit of exposure? Yeah, I've got to say pretty low, right? Yeah. And the games that we've played, I've not experienced that. And, and I can't imagine someone saying, you know, I'd love to try D&D. I should go to a con. I'm sure it happens. Yeah, but, of course. But I can't imagine. I can't imagine that. I can't. So it's like I, I've gone to a lot of conventions in my life. And yes, you will find people that are on the lower end of the spectrum when it comes to exposure to a topic. But there's some exposure. Rarely do you actually find anybody who is like sometimes somebody might might say, hey, there's a convention here. I'll, I'll come in as a walk in. That's why walk ins are an option at most conventions, like someone who will come in off the street but there's i think it's different when it's a comic book convention when you can go in and actually buy something than you know a a and d tabletop convention yeah so like, honestly i mean i think there still is a stigma against tabletop gaming I, not to the extent that there used to be but i still think that there is sure but to your point about the dunning kruger effect you asked a question about what do i think i think he had this illusion that we were new players that, that everyone at the table were, were new players that because he had never gamed with us therefore we must have never gamed and that's how he took everything. And I think he felt supremely confident. Like, he didn't seem to recognize that we weren't having a, a, a great deal of fun. And, and that scares me. The you, lack of awareness about the table, that, as a GM, that's my worst fear. Now, I, I, I'm reading into this. Sure. I'm, I'm just reading into it. I almost get the idea to him that the game isn't about fun. It's about following the process of, you know... Uh, the game's constructed rules. And I think he probably, to me, I feel that he probably just draws satisfaction from the technical aspect of the game and is less interested in actually having fun with the game. To me, he, it almost seems to me like the game is a duty that he has to perform and less so an, an interest that he has that he loves pursuing because he draws satisfaction from the interaction with people. Yeah, I don't think he had fun to your point. Yeah. I mean, he was there. He was very nice. He was polite. He was good-hearted. And he had a, he had, he had a he had, didn't he have the fez? Uh, yeah, he walked in with the fez. We he, took it off pretty quickly. Yeah, he walked in with the D20 fez. He had this pretty substantial kit that he's assembled uh, with the gaming pieces and stuff. Um, but yeah, I just don't. I don't think he had fun himself. That's true. All right, let's let's keep going here. Uh, and and we tried to stay from the GM, but we we, we jumped into that. Hey, and uh, if you know, if you happen to be listening, you know, GM, it was nice meeting you. <laughs> it was. And we did learn things from you, just just maybe not what you intended. Yeah. Um, so we didn't finish our session. Let, let, let's, let's start in on, on some of the gripes. We, we were at a con playing with this group we had for th the only time. We had three hours. We had four hours. Three hours, four hours. We can finish that game. Eight to, eight to midnight. We had four hours, man. We should be able to finish that game in four hours. We should hours. have been able to finish that game in four hours, but we didn't. Um, do you remember how he ended it? So, uh, completely honest, no. I remember how you ended it when we played it later with our friend Don. Yeah, so we, we, we replayed this game later. And it was much more satisfying. So, 
Um, he was running us through the adventure in a little booklet that came with the DVD set, and he was running that adventure one step at a time yes. right out of the book. And things took a little longer sometimes. People had a lot of questions about combat. He was reading straight from the oh, book. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, he, he was he was reading from the adventure, and he had clearly never read it before. I, I got the impression that he had read it before. He had some maps prepared, but he was stumbling over the text so badly that, like, for me, if I'm going to read the box text, I'm going to read it, like, eight times before the con to so that it flows. And I'm referring to the text, but it's flowing. He was stumbling over words, and, 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 and yeah, he, to me, he hadn't read that box text aloud before. Um, You know, I, I think, in my mind, I think you may be bias toward the way that you approach things and are able to recall things not everybody has that ability okay well let's go back to to the fact that that this this had an unsatisfying ending so the way he ended it was we got halfway through the session as written in the book and he said okay folks i think that's all we have time for but hopefully you enjoyed and this is another clue that he thought we were all newbies hopefully you enjoyed this introduction to D D. and did he say D D? uh well he, he probably said Pathfinder to role playing to gaming. Yeah. He's something, but I remember him using the word introduction. Like, hopefully you enjoyed this. We won't have time to finish. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you had fun. And everyone was polite. We we're all like, Hey, you know, thanks for the game. We were all polite, but walking out, I was like, man, why didn't he cut out? Like we had some nothing encounters in the middle. Like every adventure has a certain amount of filler. In my opinion, that you can cut to get to the end. We never got to the end. We had an encounter with a few orcs. We had an encounter with uh, some displacer beasts. We had an encounter with some ice ice demons, ice mifrits, whatever they were called. But we never actually, we, 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 didn't, we didn't finish. We were about halfway through the adventure when we stopped. So let's talk about what that means. He didn't improvise. He didn't skip parts. Um, he didn't move the game along. He didn't try to get us to a satisfying conclusion. He didn't seem to recognize that at a con game, Part of his job was to get us to a satisfying conclusion. And, and I do believe that about the GM's role. So I learned a lot from him about what to walk into a con session with so that I can make sure that the group that I'm running gets to a satisfying ending of some sort. Be it a happy ending or a sad ending, it's an ending. And the loose ends are tied up, and that's the end of the story. And, and just cutting the story off because we, quote, ran out of time, that was... That was unsatisfying. And, and and let's talk about let's talk about why we ran out of time. Did you have fun with combat in this game? Not really, no. Why not? It it just didn't it didn't it was very mechanical. It didn't capture me. I mean there was no excitement to it. Uh I other than you, I didn't know anybody at the table that I, I didn't have, normally in combat we improvise, we come up with ways to approach things, we we strategize as a team on how to um how to uh, basically overcome whatever specific situation that we're in. It, I, it just seemed very mechanical and, and passionless to me. Well, passionless. Let me strike upon that. Passionless. One thing about our games, we always know why we're fighting. Oh, absolutely. We always know what brought us to this fight and why we're fighting it. At this table, we were fighting these things because that was what was in the book. We were encountering these monsters because these monsters were in the book. He didn't do a good job of moving us from encounter to encounter with story in between that made us feel like we had chosen to fight these orcs. I mean, so we, it would have been nice if he had explained 
to those of us at the table who weren't familiar with the series, the importance of where we were and why we were trying to, we were trying to get home. Yeah, he, he left the, he let the, he let the box text do all that. Yeah. And it, it just, it, 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 he didn't hammer it home and it, we just, just did not have uh, a sense of urgency about anything that we were doing. We just knew that we had a time limit that we had to hit in, in game. And that was it. And dude, he didn't know his monsters. So we fought a bunch of orcs, and, and in Pathfinder, a big deal with orcs, as I later learned, is that when you re- reduce an orc to zero hit points, they still have one round left in them, where they don't quite go down. They're tough. They stay up for a round, and they, and they go after you. Dude, we fought displacer beasts that never displaced. We fought displacer beasts like in a stand-up fight as though they were nothing more than large jungle cats. We fought displacer beasts as though they were they were particularly ferocious pumas. But they never actually displaced. We fought displacer beasts that didn't displace. He didn't know his monsters, and this is all this is all coming up to a theme. For those of you who are like, "Man, these guys are just complaining." Yes, we are, but it's coming to a theme. I'm going to throw one more thing at you, Brian. Do you remember how long it took him to fish out his minis? That was like so. He fished out his minis to begin at the beginning with uh, the characters that we were playing. With the character minis it took it took uh, quite a while for that. Uh, did he put fish out the minis per encounter? Yes. What? Yes. Remember, we, yeah. t- we took a restroom break because he took so long to fish out his minis. I remember I, I got up two or three times to go grab a drink, yeah. uh, to grab you a drink, went that's, upstairs. That's while he was getting minis for, like, for the various encounters. Like, fortunately, I know that hotel pretty well because I've been there for other events. Yeah. And um, I, I really like that. I love that venue. Uh, and there's some, it's convenient to do that, but yeah, it was out of necessity because we, yeah, we had those natural, those not natural, those breaks built in because he wasn't prepared. Yeah. And he, he brought like two tackle boxes of every miniature that he owned, not the minis for this game of every miniature he owned. He's going through and he, and he's just like moving stuff around and like looking for these, it, it, no exaggeration. And this will sound like an exaggeration. No exaggeration. It was seven to ten minutes per encounter for him to per encounter for him to find the right miniatures. Like, how do you not? Ha- so, so what all this is building up to? He didn't know his monsters. He didn't have his box text. You know, he didn't know it well enough to read it smoothly, or even to improvise it. He hadn't prepared, Brian. In my opinion, he was unprepared. His minis were not. He he knew what encounters. He stuck to the adventure as written, and he didn't have his minis and little and and. In Ziploc bags, or in individual boxes, or in individual compartments in his tackle box. He didn't have his miniatures pre-selected. He, he didn't seem to have read the monsters. He didn't seem to know their powers. He hadn't prepped about, he had not prepared. He was not adequately prepared to run us on a game rapidly. So, as a GM, and you'll be GMing some games at Mace 2017. I will. Do you feel that this taught you anything that will benefit you during the con, or do you feel that everything that went wrong was such a fundamental elementary concept or idea that uh, you would have you would have avoided these mistakes going in? I would have avoided these particular mistakes going in. So I was totally intimidated by the idea of a con game. This is something else positive about going to this con. I was completely intimidated by the idea of running a game for people that have been playing D&D for years. I've only been playing D&D since 2009. Yeah. People have been playing D&D since 1974. Yeah. Go to these cons. How can I possibly show them a good time? Yeah, so... And walking out of the session, I can, I, I'm going to be prepared. That's how I'll show them a good time. Preparation 
is is half the battle. So I think when it comes to the way that we talk about games, we, you know, we have our little business acumen um, uh, theme around the show, and sometimes we don't overtly say some of these things. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, as in gaming, as in business, as in life, I think there are ways that people approach problems and they approach interacting with people. I am somebody who sometimes people consider to be very uh, confident or overconfident, but in reality, God, I get intimidated very easily. And if I feel that I'm going to in a situation where I'm going to um, be challenged, unless I'm pretty confident that I'm going to meet that challenge, sometimes I tend to um, sort of shy away. Mm. So when I like I said, when I came in, I fully expected that I was going to be humbled. And I I the whole idea of being lacking confidence is okay as long as you come out the other end confident, which I typically do. But man, this was just such a shock to me coming in, finding that not only was uh, I not underprepared, I was at least at parity with basically most anybody there that we played with. We have obviously we saw people that were very advanced that from a di- from afar looked like that they knew what they were doing. But we really didn't encounter anybody directly that we played with that I feel that was dramatically better than we were. How'd you feel about your mastery of D20? Walking out of the session. So. You and I had never played Pathfinder. Yeah. Do you remember who yeah. knew most of the answers to the rules questions at the table? It was you. And you, I, it was us. You and I. Yeah. We, so it, it's not the fact that it's not the fact that, um, I mean, it's a D20 system. There, I mean, there are only so many permutations of how things can work. We, we had, we had the manual or access to the manual. We knew to look up, how to look up things. I Googled things. Uh, it just seemed like that there were questions, and our GM, who was running the game, didn't know how certain things would go, and yeah. we ended up having to get find the answers or give the answers to how stuff and went. That's a great point, Brian. So for those of you listening at home, I'm not saying that we walked into this game where we never played Pathfinder, knowing Pathfinder better than everyone else at the table. No. But because we've tried out different systems and because we value system mastery, we <laughs> at least knew how to find the answers. Yeah. And that seemed to be more than other people at the table yeah we were rapidly finding answers to questions how does a spell work let me look it up yeah hang on just one second boom okay i I had the spell section bookmarked in my in my pocket-sized players uh, or sorry core rule book um i need to get that i I have the full-size core core rule book i've been meaning to buy that (laughs) the pocket size is nice yeah but we, we we knew how to find things quickly and we got answers quickly and we also picked up pretty quickly that someone people at home are going to cringe but it's basically true our exposure to, to D20 at this point had been 4th edition and 5th edition. Well, Pathfinder is like the 4th edition tactical rules as far as flanking, movement, and all that combined with the 5th edition spell rules. And I know that's completely backwards. I know that I'm taking more modern versions and applying those to older versions when really I should do the reverse. But that was our exposure. Our exposure was 4th and 5th edition. So all I'm saying is, because we had this framework for how tactical combat worked, thanks to 4th edition, and we had a framework for how a lot of spells worked because of 5th edition, we were able to glom on to Pathfinder pretty quickly. Yeah, it's lateral lateral thinking. Yeah, I walked away thinking, hey, I can completely run Pathfinder, no problem. Yeah, basically life, and actually, again, I don't want to force this into, uh, into into the show, but... Business life comes down to a few things. One, EQ, being able to deal with people, 
being able to understand um, how other people think and act and, and to interact with people. Flexibility, being able to adapt to things, and then lateral thinking, being able to apply one one type of reasoning to something else and making sense of things. When it boils down to it, being a, a good gamer, being a good GM, being a good you know employee, being a good leader, it all comes down to that. And it's it's not hard. And I don't I don't understand sometimes why think one thing I can't grasp is why the GM and the people at the table didn't try to get more out of the game than they did. Oh, the conservative play killed me. So I don't know if you remember this. The Displacer Beasts. They were initially statues. And and hey, spoiler alert, sorry. Um they were initially statues and they turned into displacer beasts. And because we had an alternate person at the table, you and I had sent up on time, but I volunteered to play as, as Uni, the unicorn, um, to, to let this guy's girlfriend who had joined the game as an alternate have an actual character. I let, so she could be Diana. So as the unicorn, I was like, everyone was hanging back. No one wanted to engage with the Displacer Beasts. And I'm like, guys, I didn't say this out loud, but here's what I'm thinking. We're like three and a half hours into a four-hour session. We're never going to play with this group again. Why is anyone playing conservatively? Yeah. Why is anyone conserving their resources? Why is anyone saying, well, I don't want to burn up the spell? Are you kidding me? It's a freaking con game, and you're never going to play this this universe ever again. So as Uni, I ran up, uh, just to start combat, I was like, I charged the Displacer Beasts. And the GM was even like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, dude. It's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's 1130 at night. I'm completely sure. You, to be completely honest with you, I think up until recently, I played that conservative style of a game. I would hold. I would try to hold my spells. I would try to do this, but lately, just to get things started and just to like instigate, you know, a situation, I've been playing, you know, much more freely and much more. Uh, ca- I've been more cavalier in the way that I've approached uh, combat and the use of my resources when it comes to if I know that if I know what we're doing isn't part of a long term game where we're going to be sitting down at the table and <clears throat> playing this like. Living this game within the confines of a day or two when my resources, I know that when we come back at the table, I'll be back at full health. You know, I'll be back at the bar. We'll be, you know, we'll, we'll be doing whatever. Um, I have been much more free with the use of my resources and my spells. And it's way more fun. Yeah. It's way more fun. So let's, let's sum up the lessons that we learned. Brian, if you don't mind, I, I've been writing stuff down on the whiteboard as we talked. I've not called it out this episode, but let, let's go through the, the lessons that we've learned. Number one. Despite the fact that Brian and I complained the whole time, we drove home um, energized energized, and wanting to come back next year and run our own game. We were energized for games. the opportunity that we saw to entertain others and, and, and to, to, to try to excel. I felt good about the, comp- the, the so-called competition of GMs. I felt good about really showing my stuff and getting feedback because I felt like I can completely do this. So con games are good. For exposure, I wouldn't walk into a con game expecting this life-altering experience, as I think we were. I think we had a lot of expectations, I, I, but we were exposed to Pathfinder. Yeah, we were exposed to, hey, when we run a con game, what would it be like to overcome a table of strangers? So the exposure was great. So I would say, if you haven't been to a con, find a local one that's not an economic burden where you don't have to stay overnight. There are a lot of cons. There are a lot of small cons. We we are we are very lucky to live in 
just north of Charlotte, where where Mace, what used to be one of the largest conventions on the East Coast, where it's run. But I'm sure you have local cons or game stores that run game days. Show up if you haven't shown up. Show up and at least play. And and the exposure's good. Let me let me say this. So again, one thing. Uh, you said you don't think it's going to be a life-changing um, or life-altering experience. I think that depends on where you're coming from. So every single con- – I've gone to a lot of conventions in my life, and for somebody somewhere, the convention that they've gone to, unless it's been a really crappy convention, has been a life-changing experience for them because they have, they're extremely introverted, and it was a chance to interact with other people who have the same passion that they do, um, and so on and so forth. Yes, now this is – a Tabletop gaming is something where you typically have to interact with other people, but in 2017, you don't have to. Uh, like Tanner last week mentioned that the people that he plays with, he's never actually met in person. And I have a lot of friends who I, you know, know that oh, some of their closest and best friends they've never actually met in real life. And a convention for some people is a chance to actually come together and interact with real people in the physical world, which is, you know, for what it is, it's, it's, a, it's a rarity for some people. Yeah. Okay. So con games are good for exploration. Yeah. And, and, and con games, the exposure to people, to like-minded folks who share your interests is good. So despite our negative experience, hey, go to a con. Two, and this is something that I would not have learned without witnessing it, architect your game to overcome awkward group dynamics. So how would you do that? By what we said earlier, ask individuals. Ask lots of questions, prompt with questions, but don't ask the table. Don't ask this group of people who have probably never met before to figure out their group dynamics on the fly within minutes of starting your game by asking the table a question. Instead, single someone out. If you if if your pre-generated game doesn't have a natural leader like Hank for for the Saturday morning cartoon game, then then roll. Have everyone roll initiative and and just Run the entire game in initiative. Run the entire game clockwise. You know, left to right, right to left, whatever. Pick something. But figure out some way to, to get an individual to do something. Now, we don't have enough data to say one way or the other. When I data meaning exposure, experience, whatever. Typically, a team like this would be a self-forming team. And, you know, we I think we have some experience with that professionally. Um in a self-forming team, typically a leader does arise. And that seems to me, this seems to me to be an outlier because I would assume that in most cases, a, a leader would arise at the table. Yeah. And I mean, a leader. Uh, so the GM is, is, has volunteered. The GM is really the, the table's leader. But like when it comes to the actual, but if you're the leader of a small team yeah, and you're trying to get people to be productive immediately, you don't do that by throwing things out to the group. You do that you, by giving individual assignments. Ab- absolutely. But typically what, hap- what happens, like you said, Mike, at the table, I tend to let Mike say whatever. And like you said, if, he, if I disagree with him. We've had the luxury of being able to self-form, though. But I'm working on a team right now at work where I didn't know anybody coming in. Mm-hmm. And feedback, f- feedback yesterday or Friday from a presentation we gave, uh, they, the people that we were presenting to assumed that we had been working together for years. And we literally came together very recently, but, mm-hmm. and we came together and we organized. We figured out a way to work together very quickly. A leader arose on the team in expertise. You know, just just we're still learning what our expertise are, but it it, it became apparent 
very quickly. In a four-hour game, I need to, and I would need that to become apparent within 15 minutes. Seems to me like it should. But, you know, that that's, that's just me. It didn't. It did not. It did so, not. All right. Um, I'm still going to keep that as a lesson learned. Overcome awkward group dynamics. Be prepared to. Whatever those dynamics are, be prepared to ask individuals questions instead of the group. And And you know what? To your point, Brian, be willing to diagnose your table. And instead of sitting back on your laurels as GM and assuming that everyone's just new and that's why they're not interacting, instead, take a step back. Maybe you have a loudmouth who's interacting too much. Take a step that back happens. and figure out how to stop that. Take a step back and figure out whatever the dynamic is, identify it, diagnose it, overcome it. And let me say, add, add one more thing. So in my role at work, one thing that I often have to do is I have to lead a meeting about something I knew nothing about. And I have to draw the expertise from the uh, from the room. And I can always tell when somebody's wheels are turning, but they're not speaking. That's the person you call on to get what their thoughts are. Yeah, and as a, as a GM, you should be doing the same thing. That's fair. Finally, prepare. Prepare. Be ready. Read your monsters. Have your minis pulled out. Anything that you can have ready to go, anything that you can reasonably prepare, prepare that. That frees you up to improvise the rest of it. So what you can prepare, prepare. And those basic mechanical things, like shuffling through a tackle box for minis, there's no excuse for that. Ziploc bags. There's no excuse for they that. They work wonders. Yeah. But think about what materials will I need to quickly produce, set up, tear down and put away, and then produce more. Think about those mechanics and, and prepare for that. If you can't prepare for all the actions your players might take, you can certainly prepare for pulling out your minis or looking up a spell. You know, have things bookmarked. Do general preparation that helps you in a variety of circumstances. Last thing, get your stuff in. When I say get your stuff in, this is for players and GMs. If the displacer beasts are, are monsters at your table, have them displaced right away. Set that flavor right away. Make that comment different right away. My rule of thumb is whenever I have abilities that, that, that are encounter abilities to use a fourth edition parlance or, or, you know, spells that I can burn in, in a third edition or pathfinder parlance, whenever I have abilities that are consumable, I try to use those in the first couple of rounds of combat. Like I try to use them right away. I think of it like playing a video game. If I'm playing, you know, Halo or Battlefield or whatever, whatever game is massively, you know, it's online, it, it's group, it's competition, whatever. Your character spawns with a certain number of grenades. Guess what? I'm going to use those right away. Because if I don't, I'm going to get killed and respawn having never used those resources. The last thing you want is for your displacer beasts to go down never having displaced. The last thing you want is for the session to end and you have four or five spells that you never used. Get your stuff in. All right. That is RPG Lessons Learned this week. Hopefully you learned something about running or participating in a con game. We are very much looking forward to Mace 2017, where we are playing in a lot of games, and I am running two games. I'm running a Medieval Avengers game, which, by the way, Brian, is full. Awesome. Yeah. And then I'm also running Terror on the Kataro, a 1920s pulp adventure set on a steamship. Best game I've ever played. Which has not, it just, it's, it's not full. It's on Friday night, uh, November 10th, 8 to midnight. So if you can make it, if you've heard my arrogance... And making fun of the other GM, hey, come out, play in my game, and make fun of me. I would love that. I would love to have some fodder for the show about what I did wrong at Con. 
And I am completely prepared for the dramatic irony of, hey, remember when I made fun of that GM in 16? Listen to what I did in 17 and how, how off the rails it went. So come out. I would, I would love to, if you're listening to this podcast and you're in the Charlotte area, I would love to, uh, to, to host your game for four hours. So as a reminder, we're part of the RFC family of shows. RPG Lessons Learned is proud to be on TFRadio.net. So visit TFRadio.net. See what it's all about. See, Brian mentions all of his other cons. Brian has been a Transformers fan since 1984. Since Transformers were a thing, more or less. Yeah, more or less. And, uh, He's been to a lot of cons. He has a lot of content. Check it out. And then, of course, there's an Amazon affiliate link, which, if you're not familiar with those, doesn't cost you a dime more, but it lets Amazon know that this traffic came from from RFC, and Amazon is, is nice enough to send you know, RFC a, a few cents here and there off transactions, again, at, at no cost to you. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an easy, free way to show your support. Thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.